Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. So you saw that we're a top five podcast, we're a top five sports podcast on iTunes, right? Can you believe that? No, I can't. That's nuts. First twelve hours. Yeah, that's okay. No big deal. Coming for coming for uh, Matt Barry. Just you know, coming for ESPN. Coming for pardon the take. We're coming for all of it. BGN is is hitting hard, brother. This is going to be crazy. With new lead boy slash po- uh, podcast producer Michael Kist. Official. I'm a, I'm a big J guy now. In, in his full time in his full time shirt. Throw some respect on my name. We're supposed <laughs> to be saving this clever banter. Oh, unbelievable. You know what? Hit the music. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show, your home for the best Eagles football analysis in the business. I am your host, Michael Kist. And we are starting fresh. Episode 1, new feed, new digs. We don't mind because Bleeding Green Nation as a series of podcasts backed by SB Nation is climbing right back up to the top of the mountain. And I'm so glad that you get to be with us for every step of the way. Obviously, the Kiss and Solak show or the Kiss and Soda show or even the Justin Solar show, as we recall today, it would not be complete without the best doggone co-host in the game. Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day, Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, hot preseason action, new home for the feed, top five sports podcasts on iTunes already within 12 hours. There's a lot to talk about, but you know I'm going to ask you because I care. How you doing, brother? Oh, every day is a good day to be alive, especially when you lose by like 20 points to the Patriots in the second preseason game. <laughs> and your mother texts you very concerned during the game. That the Eagles are getting spanked. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be all right, Mom. You know what? I think that maybe maybe we'll be able to rebound from this, be able to come back. I don't know, man. Listen, we were talking before we were recording. Last time we were on a call, man, was end of June. It's been a while since we've been sitting in this seat. We we we. It took us like three times as long to set our mics and get our audio right because yeah. it's just been too long. Man, it's good to be back. And, and especially because we became a top five podcast on iTunes, and I hadn't yet put an episode out. I was like, yeah, what's up, man? Ben's contributing a lot to this podcast so far. Everybody else already put one out. I hadn't done my first episode yet. So I'm feeling pretty good. This is this is what's going to put us at number one right here, yeah. what we're doing right here. You got to bring in the closer, man. That's right. And look, if you haven't listened to it already, gentle listeners, A, what are you doing with your life? B, get on it. But BGN Radio episode one is out with Brandon Lee Gowton and a new slash old addition to the family, John Stolness, who has been with us before here. Tons of info on that one. 
They got you all caught up on training camp action, uh, Jalen Ramsey being crazy, that and much more. Check it out. Also, a new series I'm calling Fireside Chats is up where I interview some of the brightest minds in football. Episode one features a chat with Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders where we get Great into name. all the nerdy details about the – oh, dude, he's awesome, man. Yeah, we talked about the Eagles 2017 season. Uh, we looked ahead to 2018. We talked about some Carson Wentz, the greatest defense of all time. Uh, obviously, that one comes from an analytical slant, and we're going to have a wide range of expertise featured on Fireside Chats to cover the Eagles and the NFL from different angles. Get your hands on that episode, too. Uh, also, SB Nation launched three other Philadelphia sports podcasts. Uh, Broad Street Hockey for hockey, of course. For the Phillies, there is the good fight. That's with a PH, not an F. And for the Sixers, there is Liberty Ballers with a new show called The Step Over. So get your Philadelphia sports fix right here at SB Nation. It's your one-stop shopping for what you need, baby. Okay, let's party. Here come the meat and potatoes of the show, Ben. Preseason football. Is there anything more erotic? Uh, we had the Eagles in a Super Bowl rematch and possibly preview for this year. But the result doesn't matter because, number one, we don't have the result. I think it's tw- what we lost by 20 points. It's like 17. If I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, 17, 37 to 20. I wasn't really locked in on the score. And also, I had the Patriots stream, and they kept on incorrectly oh. showing the scoreboard when they would cut back and do from commercials. So I really didn't know what score it was. <laughs> They'd like have the Eagles with 14, the Patriots with 34 when it wasn't that way. So I honestly don't even know. Yeah, the result doesn't matter. It's how they played the game and the position battles they're in. First, though, uh, Nick Foles was injured, and we're going to get into how that happened in a bit. Mm-hmm. He was not taken to the locker room for evaluation. He was not in a sling. All that's good. We don't have any further updates at the moment. We're recording right after the game. Uh, So I can guarantee you, though, by the time that this gets to your earballs, there will be an up-to-date post on BleedingGreenNation.com. Most likely, Brandon Lee Gowton is a robot, so you know that info is coming. Okay, Ben, right off the bat, give me one winner, one guy that stood out to you that either helped cement his spot on the roster or in the starting rotation, or maybe a guy that moved himself into striking distance to making the 53-man roster? Uh, All right, well, Shelton Gibson is a big one. Uh, Obviously, he's a guy who had a good first game, and then he he brought it back up consistency in the second game. A big catch, he had a nice return, and then obviously a touchdown catch as well. Gibson's not my winner, simply because... Well, that's good, because he's mine. I've been seeing him do this (laughs) stuff in camp. You know, I've, I've been feeling good about him. As a as a fifty three man guy, as that wide receiver five, bringing that speed, you know, to, to play behind Mike Wallace and to provide that 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 burst as maybe a, a return guy and then as a depth piece, what have you. But to me, the biggest question for Shelton Gibson coming out of West Virginia and through his first season and now into his sophomore year still remains unanswered. And that question is, how well does this young man play through contact? Uh, and how able mm-hmm. how able is he to handle physicality throughout his routes? Because on all of these reps we've seen. Uh, he's typically been able to get clear of physicality within five yards. He has not been attacked off the line of scrimmage, and he has not been necessarily bullied down the field. He's definitely doing a better job keeping leverage down the field and using his body frame in that way. But the biggest question I had with him as far as to round out as a player still remains unanswered with what I've seen in the preseason. So I'm not there yet. Instead, I'm going to go on the defensive side, and I'm going to say Trey Sullivan was my winner. Because Trey came out in that first preseason game against the Steelers and really struggled. 
I mean, he had made a, a couple of significant uh, mental errors, dropping into short zones. Uh, his tackling was all over the place. He did not look like the player we saw in practice. And to me, his role was very important. I'm not very high on Corey Graham. I don't think Chris Maragos is going to be a, a, a guy who's healthy for week one or who's a priority add back from the pup list. I don't see him getting significant snaps. They really like Trey Sullivan in the building. You can tell they want him to become that safety three. Steelers game was very shaky. This game was a lot uh, more solid. It wasn't necessarily that he, you know, did anything massive to stand out, but he wasn't making those stupid mistakes. I didn't see him with significant zone issues in the short areas. I could have easily missed one. It's tough to see on the broadcast tape, but I didn't see the problems the way I did against the Steelers. And then I didn't see tackling issues. And in fact, I saw much better tackling. I saw aggressive filling downhill, but being able to break down into space before he comes to the contact point. So Trey, in the fact that he didn't stand out to me is a winner because he clearly tightened things up after the Steelers game was a little bit loose. And, and I agree. He definitely had a rough game one. And then uh, today he looked a lot better. So I want to go back to your guy because th- Shelton Gibson was actually my winner. So contact aside, which I totally get, that was on my scouting report on him when he came out in the draft. So put that aside for a second. What he needed to do to make this roster because he was definitely not a lock and he has like you said had a nice camp but let's check some boxes for Shelton Gibson and what he needed to do Uh, number one show that he was a deep threat check that box he had that long tutty last week Uh, he showed that stack and track stuff that the Eagles coveted on the 57 yard baby that was a beautiful today when they were backed up too on the goal line he came through for him number two Show that he could contribute on special teams. Yeah, check that box. Yeah, so made a guy miss off the edge on a return and took it 47 yards on that kickoff return. That's big for him. That was one of his pass to the roster that he he needed to check that box. Number three, uh-huh. show that he could contribute in other ways. And you could check that too because that red zone sluggo, man, that, that was, was pretty. pretty. His man was lost. In that, was off, so. that was Jason McCourty. That was that's not yeah. a bad cornerback. Jess. That's not some second string, you know, scrub. That's Jason McCourty. He's a good football player. Yeah, very good football player. So that was big for him. So deep ball check, special teams check, red zone check. He's making this roster bad, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you're at the point, especially with Alshon health question mark, Nelson health question mark, Mac Hollins mm. health question mark. That you know, Gibson, <laughs> Greg Ward, Rashad Davis, and you're and you are making this roster as far as the wide receiver goes. You know, if <laughs> things are crazy in week one, Rashad is going to get remembered for that stupid little punt return thing where he was dancing around there like an idiot. But he, to me, had a great night as a receiver. Naturally, he obviously had another. He had that deep ball touchdown catch from Sudfeld as well, who. Sudfeld, I, he didn't yeah. get the he didn't get the the list as my winner, but Sudfeld showed to me. Sudfeld showed you the problems in Week One against the Steelers that prevents him from being a higher quality player, and then in Week Two against the Patriots, he showed you the flashes that you're like, oh snap! If we can get this train <laughs> rolling, because those deep bombs are great. The thing about the deep bomb is, and 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 there was a there was a Sean McVay, head coach of the Rams, mic'd up. Uh, at training camp sort of thing that was released uh, a few days ago and you it was going around twitter and on it you hear mcveigh say if we see if we see single high take that go ball up the sideline yeah right nate sudfeld is not a good processor he does not see the field quickly but pre-snap you see a single high safety that's pretty easy to confirm that he's center fielding right away and if you if you and doug peterson he may not be saying it like mcveigh is but doug peterson if he gets single high 
he wants that go ball on the boundary. And that's what all of Sudfeld's strong plays have been, Mike. They, and I'm not sure if they're all single high, but Sudfeld's best ball is that deep ball into the boundary. And when he sees that he has one-on-one coverage there with a guy like Davis or a guy like Gibson, he hangs it up there and he puts a really pretty spin on it. It doesn't require a lot of mental work. It's not in the short areas, right, which is where he's quite weak because things happen quicker in the short areas. It's a lot more uh, reflexive in the short areas because things are just bang, bang, whereas deeper, there's a little bit more space Uh when he can just let it sail against single high, he, yeah, I mean, he looks like you could just put him out there and start, baby. And so he, that's that's fun <laughs> preseason play right there. Just watching Sudfeld get out there and slang it. Give me that every day of the week, man. Yeah, and when I was doing it, reminded me of like the early parts of the eval when I was doing a pro report on Trevor Simeon. And every time he got that, that cover one, you know, that middle of the field safety, and he got tight coverage with Demarius Thomas or Emmanuel Sanders, he was taking that shot. And that's yeah. what Sudfeld's doing right now. So it's exciting. Uh, but as we know with Trevor Simeon, that's not the end-all be-all of being a successful quarterback in the NFL. He's got to show that he can improve in those in those short areas as we move along. But, you know, he he played well, so you can't knock him for that. Let's go to the, to the negative side. Uh, mine, I've got one player, and we've talked about it before the show too. It obviously has to be Halapuli Vati Vaitai, who Adrian Claiborne owned, just owned, badly. Everybody including- owned. Yeah, badly, bro. Bullied, uh, including that strip sack. And then the Derek Rivers of dude, Derek Rivers basically redshirted his rookie year and is seeing his first action. And, and, And okay, I had a late first on Rivers. No big deal. He ate Big V's sandwich far too easily. And what's important is that Rivers and Claiborne weren't like doing anything particularly complex they were threatening the outside shoulder within three steps and then they were swatting hands because they knew big v is a big waistbender who leans forward at the point of contact then they can get their hips clear and all of a sudden they have a rush lane right these are two good rushers i i'm uh, absolutely but these were not two good rushers generating rush angles or really like you know beating a well-set tackle they were just eating big v up because big v is he's not good in his pass sets right now and you know people want to say okay well you know he takes the next step in his development what does that look like well you've got another year of tape where people can watch and see what you're bad at and if you don't evolve past that you're going to take a step back and look the backup tackles looked awful as a whole. And the left side, once Chance Warmack came in, was a mess. But Big V is so frustrating. He looked like a statue out there. Had his hands in his holster, waist bending while frozen in time. And I get it. It's preseason. But if you were confident that Big V is a capable long-term starter right now, I need someone to explain that to me. I've never seen it. I didn't see it tonight. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he gets it together. But that was not a positive performance whatsoever. And yeah, Claiborne's no slouch, but... But he's got to be better, man. And, and and I get it. We've heard it a million times, right? But he shut down Everson Griffin in the playoffs. And, and I tell you what, it's not that. You want to see how many times he got a chip to help him out in that game? You want to see how many times he got a favorable alignment from a tight end that limited the options available for Griffin? I've seen it. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to chart him and I'm going to write it up for bleedinggreennation.com. And if you want to discuss it after the fact, hit me up on Twitter. But all I ask is that... Mike's had his angry voice. Th- this is what I want, though. Just be, be be receptive to the new info that I'm putting out there. Don't just dismiss it because we won a Super Bowl. Because I'm tired of that line. Well, we won the Super Bowl with him. Because that doesn't mm-hmm. do anything for me. We need facts. We need... A- an honest discussion. And you know what? If he performs better next week, I'll tone it down because it's not about being right for me. It's being correct. And that's what we should all care about. It does me no good and brings me no joy to see him play like that. I hope he becomes a solid starter. And look, he's a serviceable spot starter where he ended up last year. In a pinch, 
And you have to give him help at the same time. You know that. Right. For for what we're paying him and the cap situation that we're in, a lot of teams would kill for him as their backup because the depth at offensive tackle is bad around the league. I get that. His value is not lost on me. This is not saying cut him or any of that nonsense. A middle ground has to exist, and it often does in these evaluations. But he has been bad. He has been really, really bad. And I guarantee you, when I go back and I look at that playoff run, he got a lot of help. And James Harrison muscled him around the Super Bowl, just like he got muscled around tonight. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, it, it's this was, to me, uh, the Doug Peterson should have been coach of the year bowl. That's what this game was. Because Eagles uh, smacked around the Patriots in the Super Bowl, Mike. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, they won 41-33 <laughs> Super Bowl champions. I don't know if you missed that. For sure. They game-planned they game for the Patriots for two weeks, and they came out there, and they smoked them. They did not game plan for a preseason game. There was no, like, you know, let's run the concepts with which Nick Foles is the most comfortable. You know, let's let's make sure we can attack their defense this way. There was no, we got to make sure we help Big V on the outside. It was just, we're just going to run the offense and we're going to try to get a look at everybody. And so with no catering to Nick Foles' strengths and weaknesses and no catering to Halapulivati Vaitai's strengths and weaknesses, they did not look great, Mike. <laughs> they looked, yeah. yeah, right. And so, and, and that's fine. Like that, like when you don't, game plan to a player's strengths and weaknesses he's not going to look as good like obviously the point i'm trying to make here is that things could have looked real different in the super bowl if doug peterson wasn't the best coach in the nfl as far as game planning goes and so that's what that that, that's what you know if you want to take a draw away from a meaningless preseason game you know maybe make it a little bit too aggressive that's what i would be saying here big v's a good practicer you know, this is my first year being able to see him practice, and he's a good practicer in uh, the fact that, you know, he's a big guy. He's got some quickness. He's tough to get around. He wins one-on-one drills pretty regularly. When he's out there on the field and he's thinking, and it's an 11-on-11 processing, you can see his head fall asleep. When his head falls asleep, his feet fall asleep. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's tough to be it's tough to be locked in and to be up against that opponent and to be out there on the field. That feet dying is so uh, when we talk about he takes his pass that first kick slide then the second kick slide oftentimes on a 45 degree set which is the typical set for big v uh, that's when you're seeing the contacts on the second kick slide and right then you know he's been decently balanced in his kick slide he has a little bit too much hip movement but it's 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 passable it's fine but what are his hands doing when he gets to that second step he's not he's jump setting and his hands are just like by his side the entire time he's so no, late he with sits, everything he sits them super low and yeah. then he wants to come into you with his full mass on his upper body and like big point of contact but they're all the bend is at the waist the feet don't come with him and so you're at yeah. the point where what you saw with rivers and claiborne when they slap those hands down they they bring his entire weight down with him right and this mm. is not this is a technical error but to me it's not a technical deficiency it's the result of of mental lapses that's what i I'm seeing. You know what I mean? If I'm if I'm trying to reconcile the player I saw in practice with the player I saw there on the field, to me it's mental lapses in the game, and that can be really, really tough uh, thing to cure. My loser, Mike, uh, as can be Derek Barnett, and Ooh. Bleeding Green Nation does not like it when I talk about <laughs> Derek Barnett. This is the first episode of the Kiss and Solak show under the new banner, so I'm going to talk about Derek Barnett. Here's the thing: <laughs> I watched she- uh, Stephen Means fifth defense event on the depth chart third string did well tonight yeah i watched him beat key offensive tackle free agent edition trent brown out of san francisco three times i caught it clearly where he had one of them was like low quality issue was kind of late two of them were pretty solid early in the rep wins on trent brown to create pressure and a quarter ago a quarter previous 
I watched Derek Barnett fail to beat Trent Brown. And not only did I watch him fail to beat Trent Brown, I watched him get to a spot where he had a, a, a rush track and he didn't even go for it because yeah. and he was on the outside shoulder of brown and he had an mm-hmm. angle but he would have had to take it really tight and bend into that set point of the quarterback it would have been tough but he had a rush angle and he didn't take it which when to me when i evaluate that player and as i've said i do not think barnett has elite bend to get to the outside edge track and i see him have an outside edge track and not take it i wonder what he thinks about his bend you know what i mean what was cool from barnett is I saw him loop in on the guard a couple of times on those five-man fronts that Schwartz is using a lot more recently. And he was great on that guard, delivering a lot of power, uh, translating velocity into power as well off of that runway. That was really exciting to see. When he was rushing as an edge off that tackle, I was, Trent Brown, he just beat him. Trent Brown handled him. And that's fine. Trent Brown's a good football player. But then Steven Means (laughs) beat Trent Brown. And all of a sudden I'm wondering, where are my Barnett quality reps? Yeah. And do you think the, the with Barnett, because I noticed this on tape when I was scouting him mm-hmm. uh, in college, and I noticed it on tape in the pros too. And look, again, a qualifier that we always have to put out there. He was a rookie. He was 21 years old. We, we, we all get that. We're trying to evaluate mm-hmm. the player, what he is today. Do you think that when he didn't take that outside run against Trent Brown, it was because he knew there was going to be contact? Because I think he has really good bend when there is no contact. When there is contact, it is very easy to get him either to the ground or push him past the landmark. Is that what you're thinking as well? Good bend when there's no contract doesn't interest me. That's not even a real thing. You know what I mean? Like good bend when there's no contact, I couldn't. I mean, care like less. really good bend, really good flexibility. But when there's contact, he can't. He can't hold up. He can't withstand that hard angle. Yeah. Welcome to football. If you can't do something through contact, <laughs> you're not going to be a high impact player. This is this is the game. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. and and we talk about the difference of rushing with tilt and rushing with bend, and kind of that whole: are right. you leaning into contact or are you running through it? Sort of a situation. Simply, Barnett to me is not an elite cornerer. You know, diagnosing the issue, we might be we might be talking about different things. We might have to try different techniques, but he doesn't corner. At a, at a high level and it's very difficult to be a strong edge rusher who does not corner at a high level ask brandon graham it took him years to become a elite rusher who does not corner at a high level right like that's kind of where we're at with brandon graham and 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 to your point mike barnett is young it's his second year he's 22 i acknowledge all this everybody loves to tell me when i talk about Derek barnett that he's going to get better i also yeah. think he's going to get better How good do you think he is right now? Because I don't think he's as good as you think he is right now. And that's all I'm talking about. I also think he's going to get better. Barnett has has a great profile to be a player who increases his hand usage and gets smarter with his rush reps because he's already done that before. We've seen him be a smart, hardworking player. Again, it took Brandon Graham years to get to the point that he got to as a guy who is not an elite cornerer. And Brandon Graham is more so an aberration than he is the the example. It's tough for uh, non-elite cornerers to do that, right? And so... Yes, Barnett could get better, but I'd like for my second round top 15 picks, or excuse me, my first round top 15 picks in their second year to be Trent Brown ones. That would be a nice thing to happen for me. That's all. It would be an encouraging sign. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. You would like to see that development. And I've seen him develop in, in little in, incremental ways uh, where I just don't think he's at that point 
right now where he's going to take that next big step. That's totally fine. What you're saying, like the core message of what you're saying is maybe we should temper our expectations. And I'll give you an example of this and, and I'll set you up for this. So last okay. year he had, I think he had something like 420 snaps, right? About 41% of the snaps on the defense. I'm upset that you can recall that with just no, that sources, that bothers me so much. Please continue. <laughs> Absolutely. So Chris Long was somewhere around 500 snaps. Okay. So Barnett on 420 snaps had five sacks. If he has more like 50% of the snaps, more like what Chris Long had at 500 snaps, what would you say is a good ex? Because you're saying temper the expectations, and I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be double digits. I agree with you there. Where do you, where would you set the over under on 500 snaps, 50% of the snaps for Derek Barnett? Right, like right around at six. You know what I mean? Like we, uh, he had five and a half sacks if you include the postseason. And with the snaps right. he saw in the postseason, he was probably closer to 500. Right. right. And I think that 420 number, that 41% is regular season only. I'm not positive on that. Correct. Uh, on yep. the post I wrote about him, uh, I, I show the fact that we have a big narrative in player evaluation that we'd love to talk about, which is that second year edge rushers take tend to take a big jump. And statistically over the past, since like 2000, or maybe in the last 10 years, one of those two, first year to second year, edge rushers typically add one sack to their first year total in their sophomore year. You know what I mean? Mm. Like we have that big narrative that they get a lot better, but just in pure sack production, if we're doing this over under, really there's not a significant move of the needle. And and my argument that people don't like is that Barnett's sacks last year were not what I would call high quality plays, which right. defining plays as high quality obviously gets, gets tough for people. But Barnett had one sack against a starting offensive tackle last year and that starting offensive tackle was Matt Khalil <laughs> which is like a very <laughs> you know like starting and in quotation marks um yeah. and then he had uh like 1.5 were unblocked or no two were unblocked and two were against tight ends and another one or one was against tight ends and then one was against TJ Clemmings who's not even a real person Bad. and then one more was against like Byron Bell or something like that like backup tackles you know what I mean and yeah. he, there were no real you know he oh he threw a rush move and he won you know what I mean? It was there was effort. Uh, there was you know winning by alignment. Uh, the, you know he had that rollout sack against Dak Prescott. You know right. the Jordan Reed one. He was just way outside of Jordan Reed's frame, and he just beat him to the set point. Uh, it's not like he's he's uh he's you know throwing hands and he's reading a tackle set. He's reading a quarterback set. And he's making a decision, which again rookie like most rookies aren't doing that. But then again, most rookies aren't drafted 14th overall, right? We have to remember right. that. Like we yeah. like to talk about Derek Barnett as a rookie, but also he's a 14th overall pick. You draft good players at 14 overall. That's what 14 overall is for. And so it would be nice to see him have some high quality wins. And he has some high quality wins that didn't end up in sacks, right? And we found those on tape, and we can talk about those on tape. But as as a player generating sacks, to me, that 5.5 number is a bit of a misnomer. He'll still have a lot of exposure because he'll have a lot of snaps. And he's in a defense that generates a lot of sacks, a lot of pressure overall. He'll get cleanup sacks. He'll get those sacks based off of alignment. Those will come his way. To me, I'm, I'm, I'm so much more interested in finding his high quality plays. That's all. Yeah, and I don't think it's a bad thing if, for instance, you know, he doesn't get those lucky sacks and he produces more pressures than he did last year because he as far as pass rush productivity per pro football focus mm -hmm. uh, take those for what you will i know pro football focus is extremely popular among eagles fans but slightly less than than vinnie curry less than brandon graham and less than chris long if he can get up on that level i don't care about the sack number i care about the pressures the pressures cause turnovers and people love to say like oh he was third highest on uh pass rush productivity among rookies and i want to be like, a lot yeah. of good ones 
he was also the third highest selected edge rusher if you count Solomon Thomas. So he should have been third. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's, like, you might say that's good, but that's the whole, like, that's where he should be. Like that is what you would expect of the third highest selected edge defender in the rookie class. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hey, look, before we get ourselves in too much trouble with this Derek Barnett talk. We haven't. We, before, we, we talked about him for like seven minutes. We totally have. No, we, we're deep in the water with, with this. If he ba- And look, I hope he balls out. I hope he has double-digit sacks, all, all, this, all this stuff. No, I don't. I'd rather, I'd rather be right than him be good, Mike. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> After my whole impassioned speech about being correct rather than You're right. For like for one reason, it, and it's the takes. We're here for the takes, baby. Speaking of takes, overall impressions – for this mm-hmm. game, uh, other than Studfeld, the running backs, the the offensive line, the defensive backs, I thought Sidney Jones and Avante Maddox were having really good games until Sidney Jones got juked out of his cleats by Cordero Patterson uh, on that little on that little uh, smoke route there, where he just uh, he he looked like he was looking for like loose change yeah. on the ground or something. But other than that, I thought Rasul Douglas tackled well. Uh, Mills didn't play. He had a, he had an injury that he was dealing with. Uh, Jeremy Reeves showed up for some tackles. Uh, uh, Sullivan showed up and played pretty well. I thought it was a good outside of that one with Sidney Jones that we talked about. I thought it was even though the score doesn't reflect it. I thought certain players played pretty well. What do you think about the secondary overall? I've been impressed with Avante Maddox. Maddox might yeah. be one I've got to take a lump on because I I still think he plays a little bit too out of control, right? And mm. and you saw a really interesting, cool little nugget. I've got, you know, clips up on, on my timeline and I've got quotes up on my timeline from one day. I was right on the end zone where Corey Unlin was doing uh, two on twos, red zone, end zone work with his defensive backs, like at the five yard line, right? Wide receivers versus DBs. And there was a rep where Maddox was playing that catch man coverage, right? Like about four right. yards off the ball, uh, preparing for the, uh, the inside out release from the slot. And he got toasted by Rashard Davis and afterwards Corey Unlin was talking about him about two things one you got to have active feet at the top you can't be sitting back on your heels because you need to be able to explode and number two you have to get physical within the stem you can't let him get a free release on you because then he's going to get to the spot before you especially in catch yeah for sure right and and end zone throwing is spot throwing right it's just I'm going to get this ball to the back corner and you've got to be there so if you reroute him and he can't get there we're good and on that touchdown throw to Chris Hogan Maddox's feet were dead at the top of the catch and he wasn't able to get contact through the stem. And so when Hogan cuts inside on the little little return, little pivoty route, Maddox is immediately put into the trail and he's grabbing. And this is where the overaggressive play comes in because now he's fully committed to closing inside. When Hogan turns right. back outside, there's no way to recover because Maddox is already full-fledged out that way. You know what I mean? So that being yep. said, uh, you know, obviously that play is not too great. Maddox has responded well, in my opinion, to those first team reps that he's been given in terms of you you play aggressive as a rookie. It's very easy to to fall away and to start worrying about stop getting beaten. And he's still he's flying up. He's playing very aggressively. He's not letting it get to his head. And he's clearly quite sticky in terms of his agility is impressive. Again, he's got to play with more body control, but he's further along in his progression than I anticipated him being when I first saw his tape out of pit and he was selected. I'm not as high on what Cindy did. Cindy was filling up nicely. That Cordero thing is a tough ask. Uh, you know, <laughs> tackling Cordero yeah. Patterson in space is, is never a thing people have been good at. Cindy did definitely get juked out a little bit. Uh, Cindy had a play against Cordero, I believe was down the field, where he was covering him on a little stutter go, and he was in a nice leverage spot, and he was 
taking him down the field, and his turn and run was a little slow. The Sidney Jones at Washington, I thought, was just a faster player than what I saw of him covering Cordero, which surprised me a little bit. And then it was time to turn your head and attack the football, and Sidney was unable to locate and elevate. Ball was a little underthrown, and so Sidney gets involved in the pass breakup. But if that's a good ball, then we're getting a catch over Sidney Jones that should not have been a catch because he couldn't find the football. And the lack of locate and elevate down the field is something I saw in Washington tape. And obviously, we had a player who hasn't played football in a calendar year, and he's getting back under, you know, back on his horse. To me, Sydney is 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 very much still a rusty rookie sort of a player. He's got nice flashes, but I uh, you know I see the mistakes that he's going to have to shore up before he can be a consistent starter, in my opinion. And it's a good thing that you know he he has time for that because Ronald Darby has looked really good for me, and he is a guy that Darby had a Darby had a great day. Good point, Mike. Oh, fantastic game, and you know uh, Mills has looked catch the dog on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had him on two nine routes, sticky coverage, does everything you want him to do. He gets his head turned around. He makes a play on the ball, doesn't catch it. So everything is great. Everything up to that point is making him money. And he is literally dropping money when that thing hits his hands, which, I mean, for us, I guess is okay a little bit. He really should just stop trying to catch it and start trying to tip it up for the safety. Just get like assist interceptions, make a new stat. <laughs> I want him to deflect the ball into 10 picks this season instead of trying to catch 10 of them and only bring in one. I like that. But yeah, yeah. other than catching the ball, he has been super sticky. And I don't think the Patriots right now have a guy like they had in Brandon Cooks because, I mean, that's hard to have because his athletic uh. profile is bonkers. And he gave him tons of problems in the Super Bowl before Malcolm Jenkins put his lights out. But Darby, for me, uh, this season, I've, I've written about him before. I've done a full eval on him before for Scouting Academy during that during the Prove It competition. And I feel really good about the fact that he's got Pro Bowl potential inside of him. It's mm-hmm. if the technique matches along with it and develops along with him. Because his athletic profile is fantastic. So I think this is the year that's going to be big for him. And it being a contract year for him, I mean, how many times do you see a guy not really fulfill his potential? And I know last year, not really his fault. He was dinged up with the ankle, didn't have a full season in the system. Uh, But even in his second year in Buffalo, they kind of changed things and he struggled there. His rookie year was fantastic. He's had technically three different defensive coordinators. If you really look at like when he's been healthy and what have you, you know what I mean? There's been similar systems, but he just hasn't been in a place of stability. And this is his first offseason where he gets to come in full in a while and and be healthy and do those things. And he has looked really good in the preseason. So Sidney Jones has some time to develop. He doesn't have to be the number one corner right now because Jalen Mills is on contract for two more years. Ronald Darby is in a contract year. He's looking real good. Both those guys have had real good camps. So good for Darby. I feel really good about that because that was a worry for us. Like, what if these guys don't take the next step? And obviously, you know, it's so early in the process and we're going to figure it out as we go along. But everything that we've seen from Mills and Darby has been absolutely encouraging. And I think Darby has Pro Bowl potential, man. That's where I'm at with him. If he doesn't fulfill that, then something else went wrong because he definitely has the the, the juice to, to get there, which is going to be awesome, man, because we were mm-hmm. gashed on the outside. We were not efficient as a defense on the, on the outsides of the field against wide receivers. We we're fantastic in the slot. P. Rob held that down. Patrick Robinson held that area down. We need to be better on the outside because we are going to see some aggression in the slot. And we don't even really know who's playing there. So absolutely, we have to be better on the outside because there's going to be some regression in the slot. So it's good to see that. I hope we figure out who our nickel corner is going to be uh, somewhat soon. I like Avante, like you said, with his issues. I agree. When I when I saw that touchdown against him by Hogan at first, I thought, man, that's a long time for him to have to 
cover that route, but he was beat at the top of the route in that catch technique. Yeah. So I agree with you uh, there as well, for sure. Anything else that popped out for you, man? Uh, a little trench play. I spent a lot of time watching Isaac Samuel because Jeff Stoutland looked me in the eye and said, Isaac Samuel is the most improved offensive lineman in this camp. And I wanted to be like, hey, Jeff, no. <laughs> <laughs> But you don't do and, that with Jeff, right? Like, I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it a buck with you, Jeff. I can watch camp, and he's not that much better. Um, but he said, like, you know, the snaps are skewing it. You know what I mean? Like the snaps skew your opinion on him. Yeah, well, they're pretty bad. I watched him. I tried to stay snap agnostic, and he <laughs> looks to me like he always had, which is like a decent backup for the interior. He's a sixth offensive line when they go heavy, right? I mean, and he's yeah, good at he that. Is. Yeah, not a lot of sand in the pants. Uh, he's going to struggle with direct bull rushes. He can get folded a little bit, which to me means he's he's got to get some more weight in the lower half. But, you know, he's a good mover. He knows what he's looking at as a center. They really like his intelligence there at the pivot, which, okay, you know, I'd like it if he snaps as well, too. That'd be awesome. Especially with an offense that is in shotgun, what, 77% of the time in the first half, 71% of the time over the course of a game. Uh, that's kind of, that's really, really important for the and Ajayi is a really good shotgun runner. <laughs> so we're going to have to be in there. And so so to me, like, you know, Samuelo, we don't need to, like, say he's the most improved when he was, you know, he's good for what he was, you know, not really returning on the third round value, but he's a backup interior guy who's fine. You know what I mean? Like, he's not, he didn't get any better than that. But he, to me, he already was that last year. So I don't really see the improvement that Stout was talking about. Obviously, the making the calls from center is a new thing. So maybe it's that, but what have you. And then the other side of the ball, Destiny Veo doesn't excite me the way he excites some people. I still just do not see pass rush juice from him. He's gotten he's, he's a solid run defender. He's been a solid run defender. I think he's gotten better in that regards. I think his hands have gotten better in run and pass right. defense. But just as a pass rusher, it's not there yet for me, which makes me really want Elijah Qualls to become what I think he can become. But... Elijah's been killing me this offseason. He just doesn't. He plays very recklessly. He turns his back to the ball way too frequently. Uh, he he on wide zone. You cannot trust him to maintain a gap because he's going to start okay. jumping at shadows and trying to cut backside and everything. He doesn't play with discipline. He doesn't understand his role within a defense, and that's annoying because he could be good. Uh, and so I don't think like you know he's like off the roster or anything. But Qualls, uh, uh, a step forward in year two would have been really nice, especially with the opportunity presented him with no Bo Allen and then no Timmy Jernigan, and he just doesn't have it together uh, to yeah. me as a mental defender yet uh, on the interior. So it's probably Destiny who's getting that that DT three DT four sort of reps, and to me that's not a very exciting proposition. But Qualls ain't better, and Shitu ain't better, so Veo it is. That was my I was heavily focused on the trenches tonight because those are the battles that are interesting to me uh and so that's that's my last note as far as eagles patriots round two what about what about this note did you see that the eagles trolled the patriots by putting jeremy reeves's locker next to Devonte bosby's locker and of course jeremy no. reeves wears 41 and, De- and Devonte bosby wears 33 41 to 33 I did not. What I did see were the pictures that Wiz and Mills oh. were posting. They were taking pictures of the banners outside of the stadium, yeah. and then they were putting like big circles or emojis around the next to the 2016 championship <laughs> banner where the 2017 banner would have been. And it was just like Mills put up like an Eagles emoji in like number 52 or something. Wiz, Wiz was just like, "This is the best space I've ever seen," or something like that. Like that was that was good stuff. I don't know. Did anything happen with Lane? I missed a, p- a portion of the game. Was was there any like Lane booing or anything like that? Like Lane's been kind of 
fighting these players or fighting these fans for a while now. It was it was pretty tame. Some people said something on Twitter because he was he they did their walk up, you know, when they get off the bus and everything, and they're like, "Doesn't look like Lane's having fun," because you know, Patriots fans they got to point out how much fun they're having all the time because that's what fun people do. Uh, it was so right. yeah, that was annoying. But outside, other than that, during the game, I didn't hear any boos or there was no like big time interactions or anything like that. Lane was totally just chilling, but. Ben, I got to say, man, before we go, I want to I want to touch on this before we go, because you wrote a piece about Jordan Mailata, the rugby player that we picked up yeah. in the excuse me, the rugby league player. I don't want the rugby guys coming after me again. The rugby league player that we drafted in the seventh round playing offensive tackle for us. You wrote a feature piece on Jordan Mailata that is fantastic. Uh, had me My. laughing, maybe crying a little bit. I don't know if I was too drunk, but whatever the case was, it was really cool because it felt like you guys like developed like this mini relationship in the locker room as you were as you were talking through this process with them. And I just want to know, man, what was because this was your first training camp covering it there. Yeah. What was Ben's first camp like? Was it everything you thought it would be? What was different? Like, what was your what were your big takeaways uh, about that experience? Because I. I I, I want to do it so bad, and I'm so glad that you had the opportunity to. Man, it was, I mean, it was a lot more tiring than I thought it was going to be, that's for sure. <laughs> like, you think, like, yeah, just stand around and watch football and then talk to you about football. It'll be like hanging out. And then it's more like, hey, listen, how about you stand right here for three hours and stare at the sun uh, and forget sunscreen <laughs> and have your face burn a little bit, right? Like, you know, that's like, it, it's very tiring. Uh, and there's like, you know is it's a it's a by the time you get to like day 12 and you feel like you've seen all the drills and you know everything there's no about every player you're just like man i just want somebody to fight somebody <laughs> like you're just at that point where like i want a brawl to break out let's go um but dude it was it was unbelievably stellar uh it's it's surreal to have childhood heroes uh you know like players that i've been rooting for for 10 years uh, to be just just there, like in front of you, hanging out like regular people, yeah. and then to have like occupational heroes and guys who I've been reading for another ten years, and guys who have tried to write like just be walking around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's 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 crazy to like just chill with like Bo Wolf and Shilkapadia and Jimmy Kemsky and like just you know these are guys that I you know I've tried to work to become more like, and then you're just kind of like you know just chilling with them in the media shack, acting like this is regular and it's fine. Yeah. Uh, and so that, you know, it, 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 you feel surrounded by Titans, you feel very small, uh, and at the same time, you feel very large and you, and, and, and you feel powerful. And that's a really exciting feeling. And that's why, like, I feel as if the Jordan and I kind of got off well, I think, because mm. Jordan's younger than me. He was, uh, I was born March 97. He was born in July 97, which is crazy because he's literally three times my weight and he's younger than I am. Uh, but on top of that, you know, we're both we're both quite, you know, the fish out of water, as it were, you know, experiencing things very newly for the first time. So I feel like, you know, I would stumble and I would ask him questions and he would stumble and he would give me answers. And we were like, all right, this is fine. You know what I mean? We can just screw up together and it'll all be good. At least, you know, maybe I'm just totally making that vibe up in my head and he has no idea who I really am. Uh, but, you know, like uh, I, I felt. Go with it. You know, I, I felt not only very comfortable around him, but I felt like, you know, he was able to become just like more comfortable you know, in the locker room every single day. And that was due 99% to just being there and talking to all the reporters, whatever. But, you know, I, I, I talked to them several times over the course of making that piece. You know, you have to. And so, yeah, you absolutely develop a, a, a feel for how it goes. And that's nice because 
you know, once, once you say, all right, like I've, I've interviewed Jordan Mylata and I've interviewed him a couple of times and I know kind of how this goes. Now I, I'm, I'm less terrified of Jalen Mills and I'm less terrified of Chris Long. You know what I mean? Cause like Mills and Long, I was like positive. I was like, I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to say the stupidest thing in the world. And they're like, who are you? Get out of the locker room. I'm like, yes, sir. You know what I mean? This is Jalen Mills and Chris Long. I, and Michael Bennett definitely almost did that to me once. Uh, but anyway, it's just, you know, it was, um, so much learning and, 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 and so much joy. Oh, it was a blast, man. I can't wait to see you do it. That's amazing. I'm so happy that you got to have the opportunity to yeah. do that. Plus the extra insight that you're going to bring from having that experience is incredible, dude. So man, look, this has been a very, very successful launch for Bleeding Green Nation and these yep. podcasts here on SB Nation, the, the big announcement on Thursday, just the, the response has been overwhelming. I have been more emotional probably than I usually would get about these sorts of things just because this is a step in my life that is big for me uh, doing this full time. Full time, Mike. Yeah. Uh, and to have it go this cleanly, this smoothly, and to have the outpouring of support from all the gentle listeners and gentle readers and, and, and all that, like I, I really do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. I know the same goes for Brandon and the same goes for Ben and John Stolness and everybody here uh, at BGN. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, ben, I wanted to say that before I let you take it home, man. What you got for the gentle listeners? Oh snap! That's right. Okay, wait. Um, You're rusty. <laughs> I don't know what the new. I don't. I don't know. I don't know anything about the new posting schedule, man. Listen, y'all gotta understand. Mike slacks me a hundred times a day. All right, <laughs> I cannot keep up with it. It's absurd. Um, now we're chilling. It's uh, the second week of the preseason. I'm buying time right now, in case you can't tell. Uh, we're gonna go over film and then talk about it. Mike is going to talk to uh, interview people and then post it. Uh, we're both going to write stuff. BleedingGreenNation.com. Everything is going to be fan-freaking-tastic. So here's what's going to happen. I'll throw a line out there for you. Uh, BGN Radio Episode 2 will be coming out to preview next week's preseason game. We'll obviously be handling the recap duties. We're going to throw some shows in the middle of there. Preseason schedule is going to be kind of loose. We're going to have a very set schedule for the regular season, so you can look forward to that. See, I know, I know the regular season schedule. I just knew that that didn't apply for right now. Right, yeah. So we're kind of playing a little bit loose. Goosey-goosey, but there is going to be plenty of content coming your way. Ben, say goodbye, man. I just did your job for you. Why are, why are you here? Listen, listen, listen here full-time, Mike. All right? <laughs> I, I, I show up, I talk, and I leave. That's, <laughs> this is all my, that's all I'm getting paid for. Full-time Mike's doing everything else. Full-time Mike is absolutely now a character on the show. I hope you understand. I don't understand how it's different from before because this, that's how the arrangement worked before I was full-time Mike. I was getting nothing, yeah, Mike, and that was the arrangement. Back, But back then... I felt bad about not doing all that work, and now I don't because you are full-time Mike and I am part-time Ben. I'm glad I could liberate uh, you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But either way, uh, as always, you have been listening to the one and only Kissed and Solak show here on BGN Radio. It feels good to say it again. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope to talk to you guys again soon. Rate review leave all that good stuff man help us stay on the top of those charts however you're listening go rate review give us five stars because remember at the end of the day we all we got we all we need fly eagles fly hey 
Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from the Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was, well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to the Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.